to find a space to squat, it's not just enough for it to be empty, obviously. Welcome back to another Berlin. My name is Katarina. And my name is Cody. This is a podcast about the city of Berlin and all the ideas and movements that were developed in parallel with the mainstream. A quick disclaimer, we are not professional historians and though we did our very best to present accurate information, history is complicated and the stories we have are often incomplete. The conclusions we've come to, based on the facts we have, are our own. We hope this history and these stories are as interesting to you as they are to us, and if so, we encourage you to explore and learn more. Our website, another.berlin, has some links and resources to help get you started. This is the final part of our four-part mini-series on squatting in Berlin. We've covered the history of the first and second wave of squatting, from the 1960s until the mid-90s, as well as what has become of many former squats and what it's like to live in one. In this final episode, we're jumping right up to present day to take a look at where the squatting movement is now and where it might be going. But in order to understand where we are now, we need to briefly trace how the collapse of the mid-90s squatting scene and the rise of Berlin as a new capital got us to where we are. After the reunification of East and West Germany in the 1990, Berlin was voted to become the new capital. Though the majority of official government activities didn't fully move to Berlin until the late 90s, the city was already put on a collision course with new investments and structural overhauls. During this time, many former squats had already legalized or formed collective legal bodies called syndicates where everyone equally shared ownership of the property or properties. Lot of houses made this 25-year deals, now running out. <laughs> this phase went from after Mainzer until 96. That was our peace time. And the houses which were clever, they looked to buy themselves to found uh, like what we did, the syndicate or whatever, to get a contract. By the late 90s, Berlin was already on its way to becoming the dense city of commerce it is today. Suddenly the music and art of the alternative scene that had struggled for so many years to simply have a space to exist was being sold as part of Berlin's edgy appeal. There are still quite a lot of spaces and squats and different outlets for creativity or whatever that made the city popular and that made the city more expensive because more people came and richer people came. The mid-90s to the early 2000s was a time of quiet, but also a time of great change. As the squatting scene began looking to define itself around more specialized political goals, the city was quickly being pulled out from under them. It was now nearly impossible to squat new properties and the idea of Berlin being an empty city, even in the East, was no longer true. Berlin was now in the deep throes of gentrification. The squatting movement grew to further include refugees, immigrants and other minorities struggling to find housing. The very concept of squatting needed to expand beyond simply occupying a building. 
10 years ago, still like 15 years ago, there's a lot of empty spaces in there. There aren't any anymore. I myself know that it's hard to don't give up the fight so sometimes, and especially now. But I think now it's another moment to start the fight again. The main question we would like to answer in this episode is, can squatting still make an impact in Berlin? To better understand what's currently going on in the squatting movement, we visited the only living Berlin squat at the time in Kreuzberg. Okay, well, should we start with that one? Yeah, the room we're in, now there's a lot of chairs because I think yesterday there was a movie here, but um, usually there's like a lot of mattresses on the floor and it's a room where people used to sleep when they like stayed here overnight to keep watch on the occupation. And yeah, almost... All stuff that we have in here was like donated, especially by neighbors, but also like, but just, well, some people just coming over. Um, even in the kitchen where we'll go later on, is there's like a fridge which we got donated, and yeah, basically everything just people gave us yeah. because they thought the idea that was happening here was pretty good. This, is this kind of like the main or the plenary room, the social room? Like Both, everything yeah. happens here. It used to be like a kids' room, as you see at the I don't know what you call that the Sahara style <laughs> thingy. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's kind of like where we always yeah do the plenaries and hang out and stuff like this. And exactly, it's the heart of the apartment, kind of right. Yes. Yeah, that's what also makes it interesting, the room. So you see everything. <laughs> it's also where people like put up all like information about, for example, on, on the right side, there's calendar um, where people can enter if they want to use like the room. So it's not only the plenaries of um, the occupation itself, which happen here, but it's also open for other groups which want to have a room um, for their collectives and they can just enter in here and then we'll do the plenaries here and there's also like a timeline which is intended to like show the process from September when the place was squatted and what happened during the time, how the owners reacted but also um, meetings that were happening and like especially at the start talking with the neighbors about what should happen here and what rooms could be used for and the house in general. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the only left things left that we can show is the kitchen and the bathroom. Yeah, it's really, I mean, there's just, and here's also, there's no, there's no roof, for example, here, you, so you can see mm. it's like not the best. I mean, I mean, it's not the best, but like some parts of the house, it's not usable anymore. I mean, the good thing is we have running water, so people can use the toilet and they can kind of wash, but like, also, the drains aren't that new anymore, so like some things are better to wash um, in the bathtub, and some things you should maybe put like flush down the toilet, like cafe. Otherwise, all everything clogs up, and yeah, so it's a limited 
that you can what you can do here i mean you can really uh, you can use the toilet and you can wash yourself in the sink which is really really small or wash thing things in the sink but i think for some time like Someone in winter to... two people lived here for like at least a few months um <laughs> so it's actually owned by the catholic church which is not private i think they're not like classified as a private owner but they're actually the biggest owner of property within germany still they were so far at least the only ones who at the same time didn't want to be seen in public as the ones who evict people so also which might be kind of important so this one is owned by one company Aachener Wohnungs- und Siedlungsbaugesellschaft and the Catholic Church actually has like four or five of them um, which altogether have quite a lot of property and it's kind of outsourced from the direct property of the church so it doesn't appear in their records of how much they own because they own the companies but the companies only own the property itself so there was like a um, verbal contract to that the people were allowed to stay in here and that runs out on the end of March. So in like five days, it's not legal anymore, actually. We met these two squatters at a public workshop whose aim was to teach people the tools and the value of squatting and discuss the future of the movement. Some of the speakers were members of Hashtag Besetzen, or Hashtag Occupy, a group that aims to unite and connect many smaller movements from many cities and share knowledge and solidarity. After they gave us a tour of their squat, we sat down to learn more about Hashtag Besetzen, the current squatting situation in Berlin, and where things are going. Hashtag Besetzen occupation, it's a practice to take back space. The goal is not to take space, but the starting point for it is to have space and then to see what do people actually need space for and fight against um, higher rents and all that stuff. But then at the same time, we should connect this fight with regaining spaces. And capitalism means that poor refugee people, old people, sick people have always struggle to find places but one reason why in Berlin there's also so much protest is because it's not just those anyway marginalized people but it's the middle class. Here in Berlin to find like living spaces it's always harder for people who don't have a German citizenship or don't have a German sounding name but also housing is supplied on a market basis by companies which have profit interests, all our needs which cannot be turned into profit will not be respected. So they will only cater to the needs of those which are able to pay the price for them. The Berlin housing market is very different today than it was 20 or even 30 years ago. Neighborhoods that were once filled with empty buildings or cheap rent are now seeing hundreds of people show up for the chance to get one apartment. Many of these apartments are owned by a very small number of private companies, and for many that don't have traditional high-earning jobs and qualifications, legally renting an apartment is nearly impossible. As Berlin continues to become more dense and privatized, 
Some might argue there's simply no empty space left to squat. There's always one argument that's directed at us. You know, it's like, yeah, well, the space, how much empty space is there? You could never fulfill the housing crisis. But one thing is that the space that we have taken so far is always space that's not on the market, actually. And then there's also space which is used for purposes that I would say are not necessary, like the hundreds shopping mall in Berlin. So, I mean, this place that we squatted, uh, seven out of eight apartments is empty. So obviously it doesn't count as an empty house. The idea is that we take back these spaces and organize them according to our needs and like in a way that works collectively and in solidarity with each other. So not that like we become the new property owners, but we kind of abolish property by deciding what happens in a space. In general, squatters in Berlin have needed to find new ways to fight for the causes they stand for. And for many, that means allowing the act of squatting or occupying to exist as a pure form of protest with the goal being not to take a space, but to prevent a space from being taken by global companies. Hashtag Zetson has a particular way of organizing their actions. They plan a series of multiple squatting events in a cluster. Their first two squatting clusters took place in the spring and fall of 2018. Well, maybe starting with the spring, well, that was the first time, which when under hashtag something was squatted and the kind of idea was to organize different autonomous groups and the date was coordinated. But beyond that, we just kind of made sure that we don't squat the same buildings. We really just wanted a house. And instead, we didn't get a house, but we got so much media attention. We got a press request from BBC and we're like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, like, and I mean, it's strange because the neighbors, maybe three doors down, they didn't even know what happened. But BBC calls you. Um, and it's nice for this connection beyond Berlin. And that was something that no one, absolutely no one expected. So like in autumn, it was kind of different to the first round because in the first round we had this one day and everything happened at this one day. And the second round was kind of more over the course of the whole September and going into the October as well of 2018. And I think it started with, with the first was the occupation of the Umspannwerk, which is the place where Google tried to build up the Google campus. And there was a huge amount of protest against that for like a long while. And then I think at the start of September, someone was also occupied. Um, and what this protest was looking at, I think, is other cities where there's also like in San Francisco that the rents go up enormously, especially like around the places which are like the bus stops which go to these places and um, to the campus and um, kind of from seeing that they emerged a lot of protest which kind of accumulated in the occupation which then actually managed to force Google to retreat and um, decide that they're not going to move in for the next five years. I don't know if you heard about Kamil Mode, for example. I mean, this is this is like clothing shop in Kreuzberg that he just stayed in his shop. There's also this 
queer bar in Schöneberg, which is called Hafen, which also did the same. And then there was the solidarity squatting for the house that was squatted in solidarity for the Liebig 34, which was yet again very different because they were saying like, okay, we don't actually want the house, but we will keep the house as long as you don't give the Liebig 34 to the people who live there. Like, you know, it was like the, so the, the place that was squatted was the same owner as the Liebig 34. So it was kind of like to blackmail the owner, uh, an occupation to blackmail the owner. And I think that's kind of a new, different type of squatting which was tried there because they had the squatting itself and like keeping the space was not the main goal, but like stopping a company from intensifying the gentrification. I feel like now squatting is a lot less being able to do with the space what you want to do and a lot more really just fighting the capitalist valorization. Another argument against squatting is that Berlin has changed and it's becoming more like other modern cities. That Keats culture or the neighborhood solidarity culture is disappearing and people don't really need or care about squatting anymore. Well, there was this one statistic after the spring which said like 52% of all people in Berlin support with people squat empty buildings, I think was the question. And I think that is one place where it shows that at least quite a lot of people have sympathies for us, but also within the neighborhoods, especially here in the Kizipsen R, we just notice people bring around food, people bring around uh, chairs, tables, everything we kind of could need, everything in this whole space is filled with something that people donated for us. And they also always showed up for like the assemblies in front of the house where there was this discussion about what should happen to the places. And I think that is the point where we try to be the most open to people's ideas because we think we should not just define by ourselves what should happen with the spaces we squat, but we want to make together with them spaces that are necessary happen again. As we discussed in early parts of the series, the police response and aggression towards squatters was refined over 50 years. Today, it's a well-oiled machine and most squats last less than a few hours and criminal charges can be severe. In many cases, the law is actually still on the side of the squatters, but in real life, the police may be using loopholes. I mean, the criminalization of the squatting scene in Berlin is huge. The Berliner Linie, which is kind of the practice to it within 24 hours after squatting, is still active, which in order for them to officially legally evict a squatting, the property owner has to tell them to evict the place. So from that point on, 24 hours, they enforce the eviction. In Neukölln, there was a very long and also violent eviction of 56 people, I think, out of the house. 
which came after a long discussion with the person that manages the property of the, that state-owned company, which at first said, well, I don't want to decide this, let's give it to the Senate. Then the Senate discussed all parties, kind of pushed it to each other, then decided we don't want to decide. And then while the lawyers were in presenting that offer, the police, well, broke in through the windows at the back and entered. The, the other case, they literally like directly stormed in. They didn't even think about calling the owner, they just stormed in. <laughs> well, they kind of make up that there's, it's called Gefahrenverzug, so if they assume there's... Immediate danger. The immediate danger, so it's kind of like assuming that uh, people commit crimes <coughs> within those rooms, kind of gives them a legal legitimation to evict it. As far as we, well, we don't know how that works, but as far as we know, the police has like lists with empty buildings, which they usually check kind of like, or have police in front of when there's like a huge left radical demonstration passing through. I mean, crazy the fact that the police has the service to private property uh, like owners, you know, to say, oh, today we know it's a big day for like the squatting scene. We're going to protect, like we're going to actually drive around the city, protect your fucking houses. And it's also, I think the problem in Berlin is that there's some places which are run down as fuck. Like you wouldn't want to really, I mean, you might as well live under a bridge because it's just in a, such a well condition. And still there's security policing the space regularly like checking up on it once or twice a week to make sure that no one squats it. <sighs> to find a space to squat, it's not just enough for it to be empty, obviously. With all these obstacles, we were still, in fact, sitting in a squatted apartment. The first day that we squatted it, police was kind of like, can we, can we evict them? Can we evict them? <laughs> and uh, the owner, they decided no. <laughs> and said, okay, let's for now, let's let them in and let's have talks. And then they first proposed low rent and da, da, da and stuff. And it was like, no, that's not, a, we're not squatting this so that you can give it to us for low rent and then in a few years sell it anyway for, like, it's not, you know, it's not worth it. And, and it's also not what we do this for. And, and then they just stopped talking. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if they actually have like sure plans yet. Like... The initial goal was having the whole house and it's still the goal. But like in concrete plans, how to react to the situation, I think it's still being discussed. Berlin is a city of many political parties, all sharing in different parts of the government. Many of the left-leaning parties have, at times, been publicly supportive of the squatting movement, but progress still seems pretty distant. Like most of them, they always claim it's such a nice idea, and they usually push about the responsibility of who's in charge and who's like not making it happen that the space can be used again to the other parties. And I think the only one that kind of publicly announced that they dislike what we're doing is the Social Democratic Party of the three reigning parties right now. But still also the others, they don't really take action and do anything about it. They usually just say it's nice and that's it. 
yeah i don't know so so it's always a bit like you know and there's i think there's a really like the relationship to the politicians is kind of like this thing of like well we can't completely do it without them but it's complicated but i think on a more general level for us we don't put forward demands to the senate to like solve the problem for us because on the one hand the same parties have caused or like intensified at least the problem and they still hold on to protecting property which we believe lies at the root of increasing prices right now so as long as they kind of hold on to that i think our strategy and where we want to go in like organizing the spaces of the cities by our own needs collectively with all the people are not um, cannot work together with how they keep on running the um, city development at the moment in the city there's so much protest that they will just get the votes if they do it you know I mean it's always it's kind of like fighting for the cause or fighting for the votes you don't know Squatting, by its very nature, works outside the governing systems of politics. And so direct involvement in politics is... I think it's off the table. I think it's very much off the table. One of our main goals is kind of like to get done with property relations, which are deeply grounded in the constitution of Germany, which says the state is compelled by its own constitution to protect property and by entering into a party which kind of needs to operate on the basis of like the general legal relations of the uh, of the states i think we cannot get or overcome the property relations which are rooted within that system and as that is our goal we can only reach our goal through protest which does not work within the parliament but has to happen outside of it in the streets by occupying buildings and so on. What I don't just want is for people to think that we just replace the state because I feel like you know the way the state projects living as like having to work having to be in a heteronomous relationship with kid you know like flats being for more than five people is impossible like you know having a house that where all people know each other where you literally the only door that is locked is the front door and the rest of the house you can just walk around they all share stuff and stuff it's a really different sense of living An occupation doesn't just happen because of the people inside, but also because of the people outside. So like if you have empty houses in your in your building where you live to pass that information on, that's huge. The hard part on the one side is how can you be radical and at the same time approachable and open? Really hard. But at the same time, what we really wanted to show is that you don't need to cover your face to be dressed in black. The practice is in itself radical. And what I would wish to become popular again, this in German, like there's this um, phrase in German, Freiraum, free space, 
I mean, it's a bit of like, kind of like an empty phrase, but it's not just about, do you have a house, but how do you also live? And I think that's also, that's that should be, or is connected for me to it, you know, to make, I understand the criticism at some of the subculture, or whatever, but I think it's also important to, you know, to show to the people, not, not, not just to give them the confidence that we all feel we can do it ourselves, but that we also ask, what do we actually want, you know? And how do we actually, when we think about space, how, how do, we, do, we, do we use it? Just a few months after this interview, I remember biking past the squatted house. It didn't exist anymore. Nevertheless, the collectives are still active and you can still find them online or on the streets of Berlin. Overall, the political squatting movement in Berlin, one of the largest and longest in the world, gave rise to approximately 650 entities or squatted places and spanned across 50 years and counting. In those 50 years, it transformed many times to evolve with the ever-changing external influences and pressures. We weren't able to cover or even know about all the important things that have happened in these 50 years, but here's a quick recap of the timeline presented in these four episodes. In the 1960s, Berlin was the center of a rising youth and protest culture. As the 70s began, a failed urban renewal policy provided the perfect environment for what is considered to be the modern squatting movement in Berlin. At the time, a sympathetic and permissive government let the movement grow exponentially. And as a result of this, a lot of those within the government, those who were not elected public officials, started a backlash. Eventually, the government changed to a more conservative party, which was not at all favorable to the squatting movement. A lot of the squatters were evicted or encouraged to get contracts and legalize. And then the wall fell at the end of the 80s. And in that vacuum in the East, the second wave of squatting, which in many ways defines our perception of squatting today, began. And it only lasted a little more than one summer. This scene helped define what makes Berlin Berlin in terms of art and music in the 90s, but also ended up becoming a platform to speed up gentrification. By the end of the 90s, Berlin had now officially become the new capital of Germany and was looking to attract more global companies. The city was moving in a very different direction than what most squatters had originally envisioned. As the 2000s arrived, the city of Berlin had changed to something almost unrecognizable, and it became necessary to begin looking at squatting as something more than just occupation of space, but also as a political movement that was working towards keeping the city from becoming overrun with the idea of corporations. So Cody, now that we're almost coming to an end of our series about squatting, what do you think, should we admit how long it took us to make this mini series? <laughs> um, we've been working on this for a while. I guess is the answer. Longer than we would like to admit. Well, I mean, when we first were working on topics to do the first, the, the kind of early episodes of the podcast, we had written down 
squatting as sort of a, I think, a pipe dream, like a kind of, um, wouldn't it be nice <laughs> if we could talk to squatters and learn something about it? And it ended up kind of through a number of various encounters and lucky situations to be the, actually the thing we had the best access to. And I knew very, very little <laughs> about uh, squatting, but especially the squatting in Berlin and the history of it here. But understanding now the context and the history of like how so many of those places uh, came to exist and came to to coexist sort of in Berlin has, has been great. I was already really interested in squatting because I was researching about it back home in Serbia, but I didn't know to which extent this goes and how this is in a lot of ways lifestyle and how it's a mindset that it's not only applicable if you squat. There are so many parts of squatting that even though we're not as radical, we can take upon in our everyday lives. The idea of being able to take control of your space and to not live in even the same physical layout as what is expected. When you have complete control over your apartment and stuff like that and just saying, you know what, we want like a huge living room. Let's just turn this whole apartment into a living room and then we'll turn the other apartment across the hall into bedrooms and then we'll have this huge community space where we can do events and, and big dinners with each other whereas in almost all the apartments that i've lived in in my life it was like i don't can we can we paint the walls are we allowed to do that you know can we put a nail in the wall and, and they just took down all the walls berlin is dense again and we live in buildings, majority of us. But on the other hand, how lonely our collective life is. And then I thought about how many of us are willing or ready or feel comfortable to knock on neighbor's door and borrow, I don't know, salt or egg when we're baking a cake or invite a neighbor when we even have leftover food. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think that many people in Berlin do that or would be comfortable to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's a complicated thing, right? Because the concept of luxury is to be able to either live alone or to live with your significant other or your partner or something like that. And um, like that's that's seen as like, oh, fancy, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> but I understand why people, if they don't grow up in a, in a situation like that, like a squat like that, if they join one or they become part of one, why they would never really want to leave it. Hope that the message got through that the squatting is not just this kind of radical anarcho fight for the demolishment of the system. It's also a fight for quality of personal relationships. While we were doing these interviews with squatters, I just started thinking about ownership. Of course, a lot of squatters are against ownership. This is pretty clear so mm. far. <laughs> it's like mm. if you get a pet, once you neglect the pet, the pet should be given to someone else who has a will to continue to take better care of this pet. It's almost like the same with the buildings within the city. 
if the buildings are in ruin or empty or neglected, they should be given to someone who is willing to take care of them in a better way. Those neglected buildings and those ruins within the city are always a clear proof of a certain systematic mistake. Mm. There is something wrong with the system there. It shouldn't be like this, especially in the really dense cities. And I think the squatters are really practically and effectively pointing that out. As soon as we started diving into the research and all this and started talking to people, there was so much more here than just people wanting to not pay rent in apartments, you know? And I think that's sort of one of the maybe mistaken viewpoints that people have about squatting is that it's a a lot of... uh, radical crust punk you know a lot of punks just wanting to say you know down with the system i don't want to pay rent apartments should be free and um it's a much bigger philosophy about how cities are used and how people should be treated by their environment and treat their environment we should be really careful not to romanticize it this Self-determined life has its own dark sides. We have talked about, especially in Berlin, there were right-wing squads, there were Nazi squads. So when we give freedom to everyone to express themselves, that doesn't mean that everyone is going to use it for good. Right, well, because there's lots of different opinions. Exactly. So I think the, the truth is not always black and white. To move on to the answer to the question that we asked at the very beginning, could squatting still make an impact in Berlin? It is really difficult right now. Looking towards where it's going or like what the options are in terms of the squatting scene now, it's also easy to kind of feel a little cynical or a little pessimistic, I guess. And to establish experimental radical housing project It's now harder than ever, but I don't think that means that they shouldn't be established. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it's definitely a fight that's worth fighting. It's just, I guess there's a danger with moving so much of the ideology and the fight to the realm of digital or the realm of social media or things like that. You kind of risk the same thing that's happened in a lot of other parts of society, which is that. It's a great platform for people to discuss ideas and to air their grievances, but then the actions sort of die there. And it is very true that a lot of the action groups and stuff like that in Berlin are still doing things, they're still fighting, but I think a lot of it more now is the fight of the mind versus the city physically. And the squatters, they really remind us how important it is to take action because at the end, The people make the city. Music for this episode was graciously provided by One Man Orchestra and Mark Weiser under the name Arur Mukha from the album 141190 Ein akustisches Psychogramm. The research material and show notes are available on our website, another.berlin. 
You can also support and follow the hashtag Movement on Twitter or on their website bezetsin.org. If you enjoyed this series, please subscribe and rate it wherever you listen to podcasts and get in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram. Once again, my name is Cody. And my name is Katerina. This is the end of this four-part series, but not the end of the podcast. We look forward to talking to you again. Nicht weiter gehen.